Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of Positive Input. Today we have a different type of guest on the show today, someone um, coming from a space that we have not yet had an opportunity to touch on. We are with Mike Jezoshek, and Mike's actually the founder of Jetro, which he founded in 2013, and what they do at Jetro is focus on all accounting spectrum things, from accounting, bookkeeping, payroll, even tax preparation for the season. Um, Mike founded the company in 2013, and he currently has a team of seven. And so we're super interested to open up the mic to Mike today and have him tell his story about how he founded Jetro and why he decided to get into accounting, um, if that's something that he decided on when he was younger or how that's something you got into over time. So, Mike, I'm going I'm, I'm to open up the mic to you, Mike, and then we're going to go from there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, so I've had kind of an interesting journey on where it came to actually now owning an accounting firm. Uh, I started a company or started my own business when I was like 14 years old. And so what we did was we it was a form of, of affiliate marketing. So we would work with, let's say, a company like Netflix. And Netflix would pay us $40 for every person that we get to sign up for a subscription. And so I would go around and then pay someone $30, you know, to do, to sign up for a subscription. And so it was kind of a, a, of a, a network marketing type system that we had set up so basically we would say we'll give you we'll give away you a ps2 at that time as well a little while ago so we'll give you a playstation 2 if you can get five people to sign up for netflix and so what we didn't have to do any kind of legwork of that marketing piece but they get five people sign up we'd get two hundred dollars and we'd send out their playstation 2 for 150 or whatever it was so that was kind of the online marketing industry or affiliate marketing industry that I got into at a younger age and just kind of started to grow into different areas of that industry. Um, so I had that company, ended up selling it for a little bit of money when I was in college and started really kind of working with on a more higher level in the industry. So we had a network where basically we worked with all sorts of advertisers, all sorts of products and brands. And uh, our goal was to just find people that could mass market that. So we'd do mass media buys. Some of it we'd do internally. Some of it we'd have someone else hired out to do that advertising for them. And it was a very similar model. We get paid $50. We pay someone $40. And you know our work in the middle is that $10 cut. Um, so it was that some, some amount just on a much larger scale. And when we we're in kind of that industry, um, I was going to school at their college at the time. And um, you know that I always had, even though I was making money as part owner of these companies I always wanted to have a backup or a kind of a fail plan and so that's why I was like I just had to fight through college get through it and, and move on and so I was going to school for accounting um, and by you know because I had some of that accounting experience I started to get into the finance side of these yeah. companies that we were working in so even though they're online marketing companies I was still kind of taking over the finances running the bookkeeping the payables the receivables taxes and all that piece and so that's where I really started to get, you know, see that side of the business. And as we were building these companies, um, you know, I, I noticed that there was a lot of uh, companies in that affiliate marketing, online marketing industry that had great accountants, but they just didn't understand the industry or didn't understand the extra level of service mm -hmm. that those clients maybe wanted. Mm -hmm. And so at that time, we've kind of been through a couple different companies on what we were doing in the online marketing industry. And at that time, I had a company with seven partners. And we all kind of decided to go different directions. We didn't really know which direction we were going to go. But um, that's that time where I made the decision, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take this accounting piece, this knowledge that I've gained from working in this industry, and do 
you know, open up an accounting firm where we focus specifically on these on this industry. So that's kind of how our, our company started. Um, we, we started out as just a bookkeeping company, so we wouldn't do taxes, we didn't do payroll or anything like that, just mainly bookkeeping, handling payables, collecting money for clients, things like that. And at the time, I started with another partner, and so our name is called Jetro, and part of it's my name and part of it's his name. His last name was Tropiano. And we got about a month into it, and he said, I, I, I just can't leave my day job to, to really go at this full time. So he went back to his day job at the time, and we already had marketing done. We had our web company open. We had a website set up. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to leave that company name the way it is. So yeah. so many people ask me, what does Jetro mean? I was like, well, it doesn't really have a meaning, but yeah. at one time it did for a very little time. For sure. Um, so we started out as just a bookkeeping firm, kind of focused in this online marketing industry, um, and just have seen growth from there. Uh, when we first started out, after uh, me and the first partner broke off, um, I had another partner, and our goal was he, he his background was in software development. Okay. So being a we were we're 100% cloud-based firm, and it was this was seven years ago, just under seven years ago, and so it was a little bit of a unique area into the accounting industry. Most people are used to going up to their accountant down the street, seeing them dropping off a box of receipts, whatever it might be. And so we took a unique approach where it was all cloud-based. We're all working from home. All of our clients can be located around the country. But the problem that we faced is that there was no really good software to help us manage our work with staff around the country and with clients located around the country. So we set out this mission with another partner of mine at the time. It was just me and him to do software development. And so he had that software development side, I had the accounting firm side. So I kind of built out, here's what I want the software to look like, and then he went out and started to build that software. Meanwhile, I was building the accounting firm as kind of our, to maintain us until we get the software piece, and that software piece would be our baby that just blows up, and that's kind of where we walk into the sunset on. Yeah. Um, but our software piece took a little bit longer to develop, develop than we thought it would. So we were probably about four years of development and by that time, there was five project management softwares out there, which is what we were building. Yeah. And those five project management systems were directly built out for accountants. Mm -hmm. So we had five competitors that were not there when we started, and they had a lot of funding. Sure, sure. So at that time, it was like, okay, the software piece is really not going to work out for us. And uh, my partner at the time didn't really have any kind of accounting background. He was... He, would, he came from the industry that I came from, but he was never on the finance side. So there wasn't much that he could help out with on the accounting side, which was really the only revenue generator of our company at that time. So at that time, we said, hey, you know, we love each other, but it doesn't make sense for us to continue working together. So we, we kind of broke off. And since then, it's just been you know, myself as you know, the, the owner of the company. Uh, so we've been kind of through different waves um, where we have the software yeah. and accounting firm, and we don't know which one's going to take off. And now, you know, what that, when we had that break and, and took the software piece out and said, we're going all in on the accounting side, it really helped us kind of envision our growth. Our accounting firm always had just kind of steady growth, um, but we never pushed it heavy because yeah. our goal was not to grow an accounting firm, it was to build the software so, that takes off. For sure. Um, so that really helped us in, on the accounting side say, okay, we're 100% focused on the accounting firm now. Let's start marketing on that side. So that was about two, two and a half years ago where that transaction happened. And now our, our growth has been kind of just throwing all sorts of stuff at the wall on the marketing side and seeing what sticks. Yeah. So there's been a lot of different pieces in there. But um, that's kind of where where the firm came from. Now, sure. we have, um, now we have seven employees. 
Uh, we do accounting, bookkeeping, taxes, tax planning, payroll. So we kind of we picked up taxes and tax planning um, about four years ago. So three years into the firm, we picked that up and just started to add those services. So now we're kind of a full service firm servicing small business owners in those specific areas. Are you like specifically in, you're all over the country, you yep. said? All over the country? Yeah, so I'm, we'd say we're headquartered here in Milwaukee just because that's where I'm located. Yeah. Uh, we have another account here in Milwaukee. We have a CPA out in Pennsylvania, CPA down in Florida, and an accountant in Maryland. We have some bookkeepers out in California. So nice. our employees are all scattered around. We all work virtually. We all work from home. And our clients are also scattered around the country. So I would say about... 15% of our clients are here in Wisconsin, and the rest are kind of scattered around. That makes it fun, though. You'll get to go and like travel and see them a lot, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's definitely a, an interesting dynamic. Many people, you know, it, it's because of the the way we start our firm with the online market industry. It was a lot of younger generation. Everyone in that industry was working remotely. So to me, my, my thought process when we're building a company is that it's just going to be virtual, and that's just what we're going to do because that's what I've always known. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, definitely that that virtual environment is not perfect for every client, but yeah. um, those clients that you're usually the younger generation that really kind of get it, understand they it, would prefer that over. You can get as much done virtually as you can in person nowadays, anyway, almost. Yeah. You know? So I and love they almost it. prefer that. You know, we you, we still do video calls, so you still have that face to face interaction, um, but it's not necessarily both of us having to take time of our day to travel somewhere in order to get something done on the yeah, business right. side. That's a pretty, I like, that was a pretty amazing story on how you got there, honestly. And the part that stuck out to me was the part where you were developing the software and it took a lot longer than you thought. And then there was competitors. Mm-hmm. And that shows you like how fast you have to move nowadays because, you know, just like, you know, Mark Cuban always says, you know, if you think, if you have an idea, do some research on it because someone's already got a ton more of them. And so yeah. if you're going to be good, you got to be fast and you got to be good at the same time. It's like, that's it's super interesting that like in that period of time, you're like, oh, wow, we got five competitors now. That was like totally probably like a game changer for you guys too, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it was brutal because we already had the software built at this right. point. Um, and so we knew it was a great software. We were using it internally. But when you have five competitors, we were just all bootstrapped. So everything that for we were sure. doing was just and they were all heavily funded. Cash and they had funding. So yeah, in order for us to attack that market and attack them, it would have took funding of some sort. For sure, and yeah. so, uh, you know, and when we were building out our software, because of being bootstrapped, all of, you know, it took a while for add, add features, and that's what basically took you know, the software so long to build. But if we wanted to add a feature, it was not just, hey, let's get a coding, you know, 50 coders right. on it and get it done yeah. tomorrow. It was, we're gonna, it's going to be about a month for this feature. And so we tried to continue to build out this software, tried to market it you know, as, as best as we could. But we got to the point where it didn't. It wasn't cost effective for us to continue manufacturing these various features when there was software out there that did what we needed to do. Now yeah. it's not customized how we want it, but it's still a very useful right. software and valuable software. And so at that point, we kind of switched off the software and went into something that was, you know, a, a well-known software. Something that was already like, yeah. So you know, at that point, it's okay. Now it's time to triple um, down on the accounting side of it. Something that you're yeah. already seeing success in. Too. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like the niche conversation too. You know, mm-hmm. once you see success, it's like don't you know go and look to find something else. Like triple down on what you're doing, and that sounds like that's kind of what you guys did. Yeah, it, it, it's been you know helpful when you're looking at a firm and trying to grow your firm, see where you want to be. You know, we had that distraction of hey, we're gonna have this software piece that's gonna sell for fifty million down the road, and we're right. just gonna walk away. 
um, we had that distraction in the back of our mind. So I think it's some of that halted the thought of growing an accounting firm or growing the other side of the business. For sure. Because we didn't think we were going to need it down the road. It was just more so that something that pays our bills today keeps us alive and keeps us being able to continue development of software, but not necessarily something that's going to be our breadwinner. And when we had that transition, that really helped us, you know, on our marketing side, understand, okay, here's where we're going to go, here's where we want to, we want to be. We don't have that $50 million software anymore, but how can we get that accounting firm up to that point? For yeah. sure. Love that. Yeah, that's super interesting. I find that... Uh, I find it funny that back when you're 14, you're doing affiliate marketing, and uh, I feel like that actually ties in with your bookkeeping. Um, since you were actually paying people out for like PlayStations or whatever incentive you could get to get people in, um, and I find that really funny because yeah, that's got to be a lot of like cash in, cash out. You know, yeah. somebody just landed five people, they brought in all this cash. But we got to pay back out, you know, on a PlayStation or whatever. So did you, you think that influenced you getting into uh, accounting a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, w it was definitely an industry where you have a lot of revenue, um, but also a lot of expenses. So your margins were so small, um, but you had you were paying out so many different people. So it was definitely an industry, and that's why I say when we first started the firm, uh, we, we kind of the reason we did is we we realized that clients of our company. We're working with great accountants, but they just didn't understand that industry, right. um, or weren't giving that industry the attention that they needed. Um, so it, it, that's a great point. It's, it's unique is that there was a lot of accounting work in such a small. I mean, this was a, I was 14, 15 years old. This is a very small business, but there was still a lot of accounting work into it. So sure. I had my you know my parents' basement. I had my QuickBooks file, and I'm recording things like that. So I, I think that that maybe sparked that interest to do. You're going almost, to almost like way. subconsciously, like yeah. you were just yeah. doing it at the time, and then like it translated into something that you're doing for like your life. Yeah, that's actually great. Did you, when you were at that age, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur for like your whole life, or is that something you stumbled into? Or yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really know what entrepreneur I, I guess was at that for time. Sure. Um, my dad, at a young age, kind of started me into buying and selling things. So he would he would go to auctions, and we he would buy. I remember to this day. This is, he bought a big box of bottle caps, and it was an old soda bottle cap. I, I can't remember the name even, but there was probably 20,000 of these bottle caps in this box, and he bought it for like 50 bucks. And so he said, this is my project. And so I would work on that. I would take 100 bottle caps, put them in baggies, and then sell them on eBay at $100, 100 cap pot batches. And so that's really kind of, and that was really young. He would have to do all the eBay stuff because I didn't even know what I was doing on the computer at that time. But that was kind of the introduction is, hey, you can really make your own money doing whatever you want to do, the possibilities out there. And so I've had that mindset ever since then um, that I want to kind of continue to pursue something that I own, something that I can control, and I, it's fully flexible on my schedule. So, you know, I, I don't know what eventually said, yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur all my life or what entrepreneur was at that time. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely a journey that... Yeah, I, I, always been part of. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's super awesome. Planted that seed. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, you always had that. You know, your parents would say, "When are you going to get a real job?" And so it was always, you know, just because people when they think you're working from home, oh, it's not a real job. And so, right. um, I did end up going out and get a real job. I worked at Walmart for seven days. No <laughs> quit. Yeah, I did my time. Yeah, yeah they yeah. said get a real job, and so I got a third shift Walmart job. It yeah. paid great. Yeah. Uh, 
I lasted for seven days and then I was done. So down with that. Back to it. Back yeah. to it. Yeah, I haven't had much success working for somebody else. Like it sounds like you were around it from such a young age that it just translated into the small micro things you were doing. Eventually, you're like, wow, this is kind of all added up to what I want to do, and now you own your own accounting firm. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too is kind of risk. Yeah. Where where you're at on the risk spectrum, it's hard to go out and start out fresh, and that's why I always tell people that are just looking to get started in whatever it might be is don't necessarily quit your day job today. You know, Envision you're going to quit your day job in a year from now and see what you need to do today to get there. For know, sure. So create that side hustle first. Yeah. And then when you create that side, move that side hustle into a full time. Definitely. You know, yeah, you're not going to replace your income immediately. For sure. For sure. But you're not starting from ground zero. And so yeah. I think that's vital for someone that's For sure. Out. And I think that's something that potentially maybe even him and I made a little bit too much of a mistake on too. It's like, like not a mistake, but like we probably left too soon realistically because we were just so like ready to be done with what we were doing, you know. It's just like we got definitely got ourselves in some sticky situations with cash and at the same time it's like when your back's against the wall you figure it out you know mm -hmm. so it's like i definitely and like realistically it's like me and him we've kind of worked aside also for a long time too and i think like once you're like mentally ready to make that jump you're gonna jump regardless you know so it's like yeah it's like i definitely like appreciate that advice though it's like ground yourself figure out what you're gonna be doing and then make that jump though it's kind of like prove prove concept first yeah and then get into it yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, uh, being in the position, if you are able to do that ground zero start, yeah. you're going to get a lot of benefit from that down the road because you're right. You're doing, you're, you're just trying to survive. For sure. And so if you have that side hustle, you're not never, you're never really in that trying to survive. That was my uh, biggest mindset. flaw personally. Like when I had money, I was, my back was never against the wall. So I mm -hmm. never was fully committed. But then once we like left and didn't have any income, like that's like when the switch like changed, you know. It's like yeah. no, no, no other option. You know, <laughs> we're at it. Yeah. Sure. And so I think you, you'll look back and say, you didn't do the wrong thing there yeah. by jumping into it too quick. For sure. Uh, because you're going to learn a lot of stuff from that that is going to be beneficial to you. Yeah. Now that could have been avoided, but there, you learn, you lose a life lesson there that you learned that that's, too. Yeah, for sure. And you guys are young. I always say, you know. Um, whether it's investing in things, whether it's starting a business, when you're young is the best time to do it because you know what? If you spend five years at it and it fails, you're 30 years old and you have another 30 years to go that you can start brand new. And right. you can start brand new at 50 years old. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a, a, a huge indicator is people don't realize, you know, if you lose it all at a young age, there's got plenty of time to get Time's it. Time's on your side for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Yeah, I love that. Let's uh let's get into a little bit more like the nit and grit of the accounting, should we? Yeah. Oh yeah, this uh, is fun. Yeah, <laughs> this, this is the part. This is what you know so well too. So something that Nick and I probably struggle a little bit on too. So, um, so like in terms of like for small businesses, if you were to say you give like any sort of like accounting advice or a good place to start to make sure the books are consistently in line, you know what would that look like? Would it be having certain programs to help with that kind of stuff? Would it be delegating time every single week to make sure you just keep up um, every single time every day what's your like thought process around what small business owners like like Nick and I you know two-man team should do to be successful in the accounting spectrum yeah so the first thing I always say is and this goes down to very basics is always have a separate business bank account mm -hmm. so many people jump into a business and they'll be mixing it with their personal or anything like that so I always say one thing first things first no matter what you're doing as a business have a separate business bank account. Even if you don't have a business created yet, open up a separate personal account that's dedicated to that business side. And same thing with the credit cards and everything like that. Try to keep everything separated. Because when you when it comes time to 
building financials or creating the tax return for your business income, if you've got everything commingled, one, it's hard. You're going to be missing deductions. You're going to be missing expenses because you're not sure was that business or was that personal. But two, if you ever get audited, it's, it's extremely hard to try to back that up because if it's something, let's say you guys go out to dinner and you're talking marketing, and but you're, you have that expense mixed in with your personal, it's hard to prove to the IRS yeah, we were actually this talking about Yeah. Now, if you have that mixed in with a bunch of other software and you know advertising ad spend that you have, that's a lot easier to say. Hey, yeah, we were talking. You know, it's a lot easier to back that things up. So it's you like know, the traceability of it all. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the first piece, just separate business bank account. But then from there, um, you know, we I recommend always getting an accounting software, mm -hmm. uh, bookkeeping software somewhere on the cloud. Uh, we use a software called Zero. It's spelled X E R O. Okay. Um, they're very they're competitive QuickBooks. I would say Zero, QuickBooks Online. Those are kind of the two main ones for small businesses. But if you're really small, there's a software called uh, Wave Wave Apps. They're a free they're a cloud based software. It's a pretty robust software for being a free solution. Okay. Um, so, but I always say get into some type of accounting software, especially if you're going to be using or having more transactions. If you have you know, one check from one client come in and you really have no expenses. You don't need an accounting software for that. But if you have anything minimal, it's so easier to just keep it in an accounting software. And then as you grow, you have your invoices in there, you have your bills in there. And as you grow, it makes that growing piece so much easier because you already have a system set up. Yeah. If you use Excel or at the end of the year, you just kind of try to grab everything out of your bank account. It's it can be painful, especially guilty. if you have a yeah. Yeah. Well, not even pointing at him. Both of them are guilty for sure. Yeah, yeah. grab it all at the end, match things here and here, check, check, check. You know, and it makes tax yeah. season stressful. You have no oh, clue. Yeah, for sure. If you lost money or made money, yeah. And um, so, th and that's why I always say get an accounting software and do it on a regular basis. Yeah, monthly at a minimum. For sure. I'd say like set time on your calendar it says hey I'm doing bookkeeping whether it's a weekly basis or a monthly basis but hey I'm doing it this week right because you're not only getting that ability to know well, where your profit is and have an idea of what your tax bill might be at the end of the year and not having to deal with stress and anxiety during tax season right. trying to gather all that yeah you're, you're avoiding all those things but also you can also see business performance and you can compare month to month and and look at okay or if you put in a big ad spend or a big ad campaign one month, you can look a month or two months later and see maybe how that impacted sales or maybe it didn't. And you know, a lot of times by seeing financials in kind of an income statement order and month to month comparison, you'll find things in cost cutting things you're like, Oh, what are we spending here on? And we've had clients who we look in their software line item and they have this piece of software that's fifty dollars a month that they've been paying for for two years and never used the software. Yeah. Just because they never looked into their financials. So there's for a lot sure. of things that you can look at. When you see going out of your bank account, you see a line item for $50 for a software, you're like, I'll cancel that next month. But then you don't real. it doesn't really hit you in mind when you're looking at the financials. Oh, you know, this is cutting. $50 a month might be small, but there could be other instances like that. And yeah. $600 a year, I mean, that's, that, that's a good start. If you're not using it too, you know, you put it towards a different asset that's going to mm -hmm. help you grow. Yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, the big thing, open a set of bank account, get on an accounting software of some sort, um, and then just do it regularly. Yeah, I, I think that so many people get stressed out about tax time. They go to file their tax return, they don't know if they're paying $10,000 in, or if they're getting $10,000 in a refund. And just by doing your bookkeeping and that accounting piece on a regular basis, you at least know where your business is falling, how your, how your business is operating. Love it.
Yeah, yeah, that's good. But you've seen a lot of uh, businesses that you've worked with. So say of all the businesses you've worked with and you've started to work with them, um, are most doing a fairly good job or are most need need of a lot of direction? Is the average small business you think doing a decent job of the county or they need direction? Um, that might be a tough question. It is a tough question. I, I think it, it, it varies so much from business to business. For sure. You know, we'll get we'll get a business that comes in and they say, "Hey, Mike, we want you to start, you know, January one of this year." Um, and we look at their books, and they're perfect. Like, there's nothing that we need to change in their books to get started. Um, I would say more so business owners either come to us with no bookkeeping, so they haven't done anything, and they say, I need to do taxes. I don't want to do the bookkeeping. Here is an Excel file with all my transactions. And that's you know, something we can come in and do that. That's where most business owners land. And, again, you run into the issue of you don't know how your business is performing throughout the year. You don't know what your tax bill is going to be. And so there's there's key things on that that are, are missing from that. And then, you know, kind of the third category is people that are trying to do their own bookkeeping, but it's more so a mess. Um, and what I always recommend clients do, and usually when this comes, it's because they're overcomplicating things. They'll have an income statement and they'll, um, they'll have, say, advertising, for example. They'll separate email marketing or email advertising costs. They'll separate Google costs. Facebook costs, and they'll have all these different items. So you look at their income statement, it's like eight pages long, yeah, and only one expense in there. So we always say, make things as easy as possible, especially if you're doing it yourself, make things simple. And so instead of separating out in advertising, put it all in advertising. So Google, Facebook, Twitter, everything's going to be into one. one category. And if you need to see what's in there, you can easily click on it and see what makes up those expenses. But at least you don't have this income statement that's so yeah, long it's so, true. it's so hard to understand. And so most clients that come to us with issues in their bank is because they have such an overcomplicated income statement with so many different accounts that things are all over the place, misplaced, whatever it might be. So Yeah. And when you break down like the stuff at like the end of the year when you have like these expenses like, you know, profits and losses and all that kind of stuff, like Correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't like if you're doing advertising, you don't need to state Facebook versus Instagram versus Twitter. It can just be blanketed in advertising, correct? Yeah, as far as for, for tax purposes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you can blanket everything. For sure. And yeah. you know, a lot of people say, Well, how do I know what's profitable or what which where I'm spending more of my money? And you can easily within the accounting software drill into what's making up that advertising yeah, cost. Right. Uh, but it's if you have an income statement that's three pages long, let's say for a, a business that's doing $200,000 in revenue, and they have this income statement that's eight pages long, it's like, it's going to be very not helpful for them, because they can't even read it, understand it, there's just too much data there, mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense, that's why I just make it simple. Now, if you're a $500 million company, that's, an, that's a different story, you, you might have a lot more detailed right. breakdown of that, yeah, yeah. but it's going to take more time, and create more confusion, and not be able to let you use those reports, to really kind of help your business. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, simple, better, uh, less information to process. Um, as far as, like, write-offs, is there a lot of write-offs that you see small businesses missing out on? Are there, like, any opportunities? Yeah, I mean, so I always say, as a business owner, you're, you're gifted because you can take some expenses that most people, most people are working for an employer, you can take expenses pre-tax. So as an employer, you get a W-2 at the year end, you get your paycheck, you get, let's say you make $5,000 every quarter, every every month, you get $4,000 in your paycheck, you get that money after tax. 
So taxes are taken out, and then you go ahead and spend after-tax dollars on whatever you do for your life. With a business owner, you have the opportunity to get money into or expenses running through the business pre-tax. So you, you pay it, you have expenses, and then that is an expense to your income, which leaves you your, your actual taxable amount much lower. And so business owners have an opportunity that most W-2 or regular employees don't have. And so I just think, think of various expenses that you have on a regular basis and think of how they can be business related. Um, you know, as an example, we have, um, as a, we have some clients that have a, an office, but they also have a home office. And so they're like, well, I'm afraid to take that home office deduction because I have another office. And I said, well, as long as you have administrative work, things that you're doing at that home office and you separate it and everything else, you can take that home office. And I said, that home office deduction isn't going to be that big of a deal. But let's look at it this way. That home office is now your main office. And so when you drive to your other office, those miles are now tax deductible. Mm -hmm. If you go from home to office, that's considered a commute those mileage is not tax, tax deductible. But your commute now is from your bed to your desk, and then when you go from one office to the other office, those That's are business tax. miles, so tax deductible. So it's looking at various tax strategies and saying, okay, the home office deduction doesn't really keep, I mean, it's, it's some money, but it's, it's nothing that's groundbreaking deduction. But when you couple that with, say, the automobile um, deduction and, and using a mileage deduction on that side, there's opportunity there. You know, same thing if, if you guys are going out to dinner, you know, whatever, find a way to make something business related, and then you can obviously take that as a business expense. So, you know, it's things like that on things that you typically would not be able to take or you'd be paying for after tax that you're able to look into the business to help lower that tax, eventual tax. Is that why, like, a lot of businesses that like, come, like, the, you know, the fourth quarter of the year, they have a lot of expenses and investments for the next year, and then that lowers their taxable income for that like that financial year is that like what a lot of people do yeah so you know let's say um, if you're on a if you're a cash basis payer which most small businesses are um, you know you can we call it expense acceleration so you're accelerating expenses at the end of the year that are going to be paid out in the next year um, so let's say you have a big media buying campaign that you're going to do in January and it's going to be twenty thousand dollars well you can pay for that in December get the expense in December lower your taxable income now when you when you do strategies like that, they're just offsetting each other. So your 2020, if if you did that at the end of this year, your 2020 income would now be higher because you don't have that expense offset. So you you're always doing the same thing. That makes sense. Which is fine because some years you're gonna have a large income, and then that next year you might have a down year for whatever reason. But that's a good strategy if you want you know at year end to try to get some expenses on the books. I always just say don't spend ridiculously to just get money off the books yeah you know um, and income deferment's another one so instead of expense acceleration you defer income so if you have someone that you know you you know trust will pay you you can say it's a big bill you can say hey can you pay this at the beginning of 2020 instead of you know at the end of 2019 sure so you're moving those ex income into that area as interesting well. yeah my thought on that too and this is something that I, I guess I'm a little confused on, and I think you can probably help answer this. this. This is like a bigger macro example. So you see these companies like Amazon that are making you know, literally billions of dollars, and yet when I, I did like this whole research paper on Amazon, and for a lot of their years, even in the last five, you know, three to five years, they haven't been profitable, meaning they've obviously spent more than they've taken in. 
so like how does that like like what does that like look like you know from like a taxation standpoint like how are these bigger organizations like not profitable you know it's and like how does that affect their like bottom line taxes and all that kind of stuff yeah so i mean likely they're they're taking a lot of depreciation on stuff too so okay sure you build this big old building you can depreciate that over multiple years if you want to and so you're, you're getting that expense even though you might have paid for it in one year you're getting an expense for it year after year after year and gotcha. things like that um but when it comes to you know they they, have, they just have so much funding, so I think a lot of it's their 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 building. They might not be profitable, but they're building an infrastructure in a way for growth that will eventually, hopefully, be profitable. Right. And you know, with an Amazon scenario, we know it'll be profitable. Yeah. At some point, but they're just kind of building those baselines in. So makes sense. Um, with a with a small business owner, that's a little bit harder because you sure. don't have all yeah, that funding yeah, no, coming definitely. in. Um, so it's hard if you're not profitable. You can only run so long, not being profitable and you're out of cash unless you find somebody else that's going to put money into it. Um, but a lot of business owners will have lower income. So like they'll, they'll try to get a loan for a house, and they say, well, your business isn't making any money. And he's like, well, I am making money, but it doesn't show it on paper. And a lot of times that, the reason for that is, is they're able to take regular expenses that they use every day and put them into the business. A home office, if they're doing meals with coworkers, if they're going on vacation but kind of coupling it with a, a business purpose or business piece in that vacation there's some deductibility there so it's it's using that things like that to your advantage which is why you'll always see um, a tax return for a business owner it's generally going to show that they're not making as much income as they really are um, that makes sense it's super interesting actually it's something that definitely Nick and I need to start taking advantage of is a lot of that advice right there too yeah you know the before tax income yeah, as long as you have support behind it. So, like, you know, yeah. if you're going to dinner or whatever, I always say put on your receipts. Who was there? What were you there for? Why were you there? Yeah. Just the who, what, where, when, why. Yeah. And that's and just put on your receipt, take a picture of it, throw the receipt away. You have that picture. If the IRS ever wonders what was going on, if you get audited two years from now, you're not going to remember you know, what Ooh, you were yeah. talking about or why you were there. It's just right on the receipt. And, I mean, there's, there's no way that they can prove that you were not talking about that. So it's right. very... You know, just saving that documentation where people get caught up with the IRS where they're not saving things or they're not writing that down. So they'll go to Applebee's 30 times throughout the year yeah. and they're like, what's this for? And it's like, well, I don't even have a receipt for it. And that, that's where things get a little get, bit get tricky. Little because, bit, yeah. But it's easy to just, you know, take a picture of it, throw it in your Google Drive or Dropbox, whatever file system that you use. Um, and you don't need to keep these paper receipts as long as you have a picture of them. So Interesting. Okay. There's also apps out there that do that too. For sure. Yeah. Does like QuickBooks and Zero and Wave, do they take receipts? Yeah, some of them have an ability where you can kind of upload that depending on which version of the software you're on. Definitely. Um, yeah. you know, QuickBooks I know has a self-employed version too, which is for very people that are really starting out. They have like a mileage tracker in there, so every time you get in your car, you can swipe left or right if it's business or, or personal related. And so there, there is that functionality. There's a lot of software pieces out there. It's just what makes sense. You know, right. if, if, if most of your driving is business related, um, or if you don't drive too often or whatever, it's like you don't need to spend thirty dollars a month on a mileage tracker. Right. If it's just easy to keep record of yourself, but keeping those records are the things that are going to really kind of bulletproof yourself from that IRS audit. Definitely. That's yeah. That's super nice. Yeah. So I mean, as far as like mileage. Um, yeah, there's just like different trackers out there that you'd want to utilize. How much? How much would you? How much does like writing off your mileage, um, like take off of your ta taxable income? 
Yes, I mean, it's definitely super helpful. I think um, in 2019 here, so the rate's at like 55 cents or something like that a mile. 55 cents a mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so if, if you do 10,000 miles, you're $5,000 deduction. Um, so, I mean, that's depending yeah, on how much miles are being put in, it's definitely something to take advantage of. And, you know, so many people are afraid to use tax deductions. They're afraid to use the home office deduction because their friend told them they could audit it. Or they're afraid to use the mileage deduction because someone... They read online somewhere that you could audit it. And, you know, the IRS allows you to take advantage of the, the code. They, they, the tax code is the way it is for a reason. They, you're fully allowed to follow the tax code and take advantage of the things that are serious. Now, if you try to really, really take advantage of it and produce things that are untrue, or you take a home office deduction, say 90% of your house is your home office, that's probably not likely, yeah, but things right. like that, yeah. you know, you're going to get slaughtered. But yeah. as long as you're as long just as you're being realistic. truthful and yeah. realistic and everything, that's where you're going to have you know, no problem with the IRS. The IRS is people, too. Uh, yeah. you know, most of our experience talking to agents has been really pleasant. Yeah. They, they understand you know, what we're doing. Now, if you ever try to you know, screw over the IRS, that's where they're not very pleasant. And so they, sure. they take that very seriously. So I would say do the right thing. But don't be afraid to take advantage of the laws that are already out there and available right. to you. Follow the system. Yeah. yeah. You can play in the gray area. Playing in the red area is not, not okay. Sure. But playing in the gray area is definitely fine in ways that you can back that up. Love that. Yeah. That's well, it's like, a, it's like a home office. I mean, he's kind of got a home office. That's the only reason I asked this question. We work out of his apartment. So like, what's like a home office deduction look like? like? How are you writing off for home office, if that makes sense? Yes, and there's a couple different ways you can, if you're like a single member LLC or a sole proprietor or something like that, there's kind of just a standard X amount of dollars per square footage. Um, but for most people, we're, we're calculating um, square footage of the office divided by square footage of the house. So let's say your office is 100 square feet, your house is 1,000, you get a 10% deduction. That's on every expense. So if you have rent, 10% of that's business related. If you have all your utilities, if you have someone come cut, cut your lawn, anything that's related to that house, 10% of it's business related, that can be deductible. Um, so, and again, it's not usually a huge kind of bill uh, or a huge deduction, but there's things that can couple with it. And one, it's not never going to hurt. I mean, taking oh, yeah. money off the, off the bottom line is always good when it comes to tax time. So, like, even if it's not being taken through your business account, essentially so like i'm paying rent for my apartment right now mm-hmm. obviously that's out of my like personal account that's still tax deductible off the businesses on the business side yeah so, so you know what i typically and you know we could talk about escorts a little bit but um you know usually we have a reimburse uh, an accountable plan and so that's where you, your business reimburses you for expenses that you pay personally and now before i said don't commingle business and personal what I, what I mean is that if it's 100% business related, it should be on the business side. Right. If it's half business, half personal, that should be on the personal side, and you're going to reimburse yourself for those expenses. Gotcha. So that's where a house would come into play or an apartment would come into play. You would reimburse yourself for From that business, business use of your house. Right. Um, or you or just take the expense, you know, depending on how the business is structured. If you're set up as an S-Corp, we do an accountable plan. If you're set up as a sole proprietor, it's treated a different way. Um, but in general, yeah, you would you would be able to take that even if it's not paid through for the business. And I'd actually recommend, if it's not 100% business related, run it through the personal side. Take and that then and then put it back. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I mean, your your apartment 
probably more than 10% that's at your office. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's super legit. And yeah. I mean, this is all stuff that Nick and I are completely unaware of, too. So this is all great information, too. And then I guess, like, as far as, like, uh, <coughs> what about, like, business expenses? Like, say for us, we're, you know, we're a digital marketing agency. So we buy a lot of, like, camera equipment, computers, stuff just to operate our business. Mm-hmm. How how does like that play out? And is there any sort of like deductibles that you can get out of that, or is that just more operating expenses and you just eat them? Yeah, so I mean, all that stuff is would be tax deductible. So um, when you buy an asset, and so there's usually what we call uh, a capitalization fee. So usually, in the olden days, if you buy a thousand dollar computer, you would put it on your books as an asset, and then you depreciate it over the useful life of the computer. Right. Um, what the IRS allows you to do now is you can set up a capitalization policy that says anything under $2,500, and it's just a policy that you sign, you take a piece of paper, sign it, put it in your file in your business. But anything under $2,500 is automatically expensed. It's a small business asset. So if you buy a MacBook Pro for $1,800, it's automatically expensed. You don't have to go through the capitalization policy of, depreciate it and doing all that. Anything over $2,500, you'd still have to put it as an asset and then depreciate it. But luckily with some of the, the tax laws that came through with the trap or the Trump tax law, um, there's bonus depreciation, there's Section 179. So most of those expenses, you can deduct 100% that first year. So if you go about buy $10,000 worth of video or computer equipment, likely all that's going to be deducted with the first year. But you do have the opportunity to depreciate it over many years if you want to. So let's say you guys are running at a loss this year. You say, we don't need more expenses this year. You can decide to depreciate that. So next so you year you'll get an, an expense for it even so though you always, didn't pay It's always anything. the circle. You yeah. know? So you can decide it's all going to come out now or it's all going to come out over a period of time depending on where your business is at. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. That's right. Sure. That's, yeah. Hmm. That's, yeah, that's really good input to know. Nick just bought a MacBook yesterday. Yeah, I actually did just buy it. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why he's asking that. There's a business yeah. expense yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, one thing that I would also recommend, this is usually when it comes to tax strategies and tax planning, um, one thing that we want to focus on is when we're working on taxes, the preparation and filing at year end is really just you know filing forms and information. But we're tax planning or what taxes really should be done is in the planning. So looking throughout the year and putting in strategies that can be implemented so that when we prepare and file at year end, it's, we're paying as low as possible as a tax liability. And so a lot of clients say, okay, what's your number one strategy? What's a strategy that you recommend to somebody? And the number one strategy that we recommend to all of our clients, once they hit certain thresholds, is the S-Corporation. And the only type of clients that we do not recommend an S-Corporation to would be someone that's located in a state that is not beneficial. So let's say Tennessee, New York in the city, um, New Hampshire. Some of these states have laws that don't make it beneficial, but most of the U.S. is very adaptable to it. And so with the S-Corporation, what we recommend is once you hit profit in your business of $30,000 to $40,000, the S-Corporation is hands down going to be a a tax-saving benefit for you. And what it does is most businesses are set up as single-member LLCs or partnerships, and they pay 100% self-employment tax on all your income. So if you have $100,000 in income, you pay self-employment tax on $100,000. Yep. With the S-Corp, it, it splits up 
uh, your income into two different pieces. You have to hire yourself as an employee. So you'll get a salary, a W-2, as if you're an employee of the company, and that'll be a portion of your income. So let's say you had $100,000 in income, you would take a salary of $50,000. In that remaining 50, you would just transfer to yourself as an owner's draw, owner's distribution. And by doing that, you pay self-employment taxes on that salary piece. But the amount of money that you take out of your company that's not with a salary, you avoid self-employment tax on. And so that's why the S-Corporation is such a used uh, use tax strategies that you can avoid self-employment tax, which is 15% on a good portion of your income. And so usually we say once you hit thirty dollars to $40,000 in profit, the S corporation strategy makes sense. Underneath that, if you're under thirty dollars to $40,000, it's not necessarily going to hurt you, but there are some added costs. It's a separate business tax return, and you have to run payroll to yourself. Yeah. So those little bit of added costs might eat into your tax savings, and that's why we usually say that threshold is thirty to forty. So that when you when you take out um, ownership, is that is that like capital gains tax or is like is that? Yeah, like so how that work? It would be it would be considered a dividend or a distribution. So you you have your salary piece that's going to be a W two just as if you were working for somebody else, and then you have this owner's draw, owner's distribution, dividend piece, and that's just taxed at your normal income tax rate, whatever mm. that is. So you avoid self employment tax on that if you are set up. As a partnership or sole proprietor, you pay self-employment tax on 100% of your income over and above your income tax rate. So you pay your income tax rate, and then you pay an additional 15.3% of self-employment tax. With the S-Corp, you pay essentially on that salary piece, you're paying self-employment tax and your normal income tax rate on, but the piece that's not part of that, you're avoiding that self-employment tax. So you still pay your regular income tax rate on that piece, but you're avoiding that self-employment. So it's like, like double tax. Double tax yeah. you're getting hit with. Yep. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's huge, actually. That's good enough. So, you know, that's uh, one strategy. You know, whenever we bring a client in, we implement that strategy first if they're not already on an S-corporation. Once that's done, then we can dive into a bunch of different things. But nothing's going to provide quick, easy, and very easy to manage tax savings immediately like the S-corporation would. So. Interesting. So then other than that, you would just suggest... You know, stay proactive on your books so that way you can start making moves before tax season hits. Mm-hmm. Make sure things make sense. Like, that's so, going to be your, like, most room yeah. to actually see some... Uh, and I think it's, like, what you said, too, it's not just about, like, taxes. It's about, like, like seeing how your business is performing, yeah. you know, throughout the whole year. And, like, seeing what assets you're investing in, if they're actually paying out in the back end, figuring out where money's are, money going in, money out just making sure that your business is performing the way you expect it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the bookkeeping piece, I think, is a necessary starting point of anything. You know, whether you're going to use it just for tax purposes or help grow your business, it's, it's definitely. So, yeah, well, first things first, set up a bookkeeping, do it regularly, kind of keep up to it. So it's just going to release a lot of that stress and anxiety. If you do it once a week, it doesn't really take that much. Right. If you do it once a year, it's going to take a while, and you're probably not going to know a lot of stuff and you might miss things uh, so that's that's kind of the first thing and then you know when you're thinking about taxes think about tax planning not necessarily tax preparation and filing right. that's just telling the IRS what happened it's a preparation that takes so much time it's the planning ahead of time planning ahead. and so implementing strategies whether it's the S corporation whether it's um, hiring your kids and using that as a business deduction uh, whether it's setting up a retirement plan to get you know, tax benefits from it 
there's things that you can do, but a lot of that has to be done before the year's over. So you're going to get hit with a big tax bill, and you're going to be like, well, how do I reduce that? Kinda there's late. some things you can do, but not much you can do at that point. Right. Where if you'd have that discussion in June, there's a lot of things you can get done before the end of the year, too. Interesting. Like that. that makes sense. Yeah, that's huge. I always say tax planning is more important than tax preparation and filing. That's that just... Sense. The paperwork the and official, yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Official submitting, yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I appreciate everything you've shared, man. I yeah. Have, I don't have much other questions. You do. I, I, oh, I guess one one question I have, uh, a little more off of accounting, um, more based just on your specific business right now. You said that you work with a lot of people remotely. Uh, your employees are remote. Your Some of your customers are remote. Um, how have you closed sales online, I guess? Do you use a lot of video or is it more phone call or how do you get everybody on the same page? Yeah, so it's kind of a combination of all. When, when it comes to bringing in new clients, you know, most of it's done on either video or phone call. Very rarely will we actually meet with a client in person unless they're in the Milwaukee area here, but that's very rarely done. Um, in, in kind of you know one thing that's that we hear often is we have a podcast as well and so a lot of people will be listening to our podcast and hear me talk for you know month after month after month and then they come and talk to me and say hey I'm looking interested in some of the services that you're offering and there's not much of a sell there because they're already trust me they they inbound yeah and so they say well first off they say it's weird to be talking to you on the phone and not just like listening to you it's weird to have to interact with you um, but you know they always say um, you know, I don't have to explain to them, here's here's what we can do, here's how I'm professional enough to, you know, that you should go with me because I'm a professional and here's all my experience. They don't care about all that because they've already been listening to me. They look at me as a trusted advisor. Definitely. And so that's been one piece, you know, and like I said, I've kind of thrown all the marking stuff, all things at the wall to see kind of what stick. So we've done cold emailing, cold outreach too. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a lot difficult. A and they, we don't have that game. relationship with them already. Yeah. Um, you know, but things that we've kind of discussed together is that uh, even if you do a cold email, it's not necessarily we're not trying to hard sell them or a cold out- outreach. It's not hard selling them. It's how do we get them into our funnel where eventually we are sending emails to them and maybe dripping these podcast episodes to them once a month or something like that. And also they're like, oh, when the time comes and where they actually feel that hurt, they've seen you know an email from me once. You're a the month first person they think like about. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, love that. Dang, that's, that's it's, modern so marketing, been, man. Yeah, so you've been driving using, awareness, using the podcast for a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of inbound, I guess. Yeah, yeah, we don't get a whole ton of clients directly from the podcast, but the idea behind it is that we use those episodes to then shoot out to clients. So if a client comes to us with a question, or a potential client comes to us with a question, we can link them to an episode. Yeah. Or if we are, you know, we have a client, we want to do some cold outreach or just some warm leads that we have say in the buck we want to send an update email to we can say hey check out this podcast that we just did and so it's we use it as more of a marketing plan it's almost like a time saver too yeah it's really you having to go through the spiel I'm just going to send you the spiel that I already made yeah, you're going to know. Not the yeah, love that. That's, love a, that. that's actually a really different take on a podcast. It's like you're using it as like a training system almost, and then you're just going to use it as plugging people with little bits of value as they need it. Yeah. And then you're just kind of answering like frequently asked questions on your podcast and just linking back out to it. That's super. That's a good idea. That's a smart strategy. Yeah, yeah and I mean, sure. we do get some clients, our regular listeners that come to us from that way, but, um, you know, I wouldn't say it's, 
it's it's not our, our our main or leading lead funnel of how we get clients in the door isn't from a podcast or yeah. anything like that. Even though we have quite a few listeners, you know, that's not our main source. So no, I like the way that you utilize. It's a good idea the way you're utilizing that is just send them the information based on their question, not reinvent the conversation, just send them a conversation you already had. Yeah. yeah. I love that. That's huge. That's yeah. actually a really good, good idea, too. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's huge. I love that. Yeah, I mean, we, I've, I've been thinking about it a little bit for, like, our social media, about doing it more on YouTube as it's a little more visual, but, like, showing people how to, like, set up funnels and run ads and stuff like that. So then that way, like, if we were to try and expand, I can just send, uh, send like, the employee the trainings mm-hmm. and not have to retrain them, you know, myself, you know, so that'd be... I, I think that's great, and, you know, because a lot of these these things that you're doing are, are complex, so you can show someone how to do it, but one, they might not still not want to do it, and likely they're going to run into issues and still have troubles with it, and so oh, by seeing your... Sure. If you're setting up a ClickFunnel account or setting up a funnel within ClickFunnels or something like that, it's they might say, "Well, I, I watched this video, so I'm just going to contact him, and he can get right. direct." Right. You know, and that's the thing. That's what he's doing. And that's what we say too. Is like even if people watch a couple, if he's making these trainings, if people have watched the whole training series. Like the implementation is different. It's like being in school. Like the theory is all good, and it makes all sense what Nick's saying on the video. But like when you try and go do it yourself. There's going to be some bumps in the road, for sure. Mm-hmm. And that's when they're like, man, I don't want to take the time to do this. I don't want to take the capacity. I'm just going to call Mike, or I'm just going to call Nick. Yeah. And that's how you actually end up getting the relationship started. Mm-hmm. And we've done something similar. So we've built out kind of a system that teaches clients how to do bookkeeping, tax strategies, how to set up and manage payroll, how to set up their bookkeeping system within zero. So very similar to what you mentioned there. Sure. And uh, you know, it's a free service that we offer. So we're really teaching small business owners how to do what we do, um, but in the end, the goal is that you know some people are going to take it, get it, and run with it, and run a successful business. That's perfect. Like, but they no weren't going to be they that. weren't going to be a customer anyways. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or there would be a customer that would last for a very small time and then right. leave. And so, but those people that do need help, do need that assistance, or are running into issues, all of a sudden have books that are a mess. But now they have direct access to to me because they've been listening to all my videos where I talk, teach them how to do it. And so I think that's a, a great strategy to think about. Is Definitely, yeah. You might, you're not necessarily, and you don't give away high-end tips and tricks. Oh, for sure. I mean, you it's you all teach still someone how to do, kind of top level. Yeah. Yeah. How to do what they need to do. But if you have this secret tip that makes every funnel perform better than anybody else's, well, that you might want to share for your, keep for your clients, but right, right. setting up that funnel is something. And like even the people that are going to take your information and run with it and do it themselves, like to his point, they're never going to be a client anyway. Yeah. But number two, they might know someone like you're. You're still gaining credibility with them because you taught them how to do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so when their friend comes to them and say, "Hey, I need to learn how to do this bookkeeping and accounting. How did you learn how to do it? Oh, I learned through Jetro." And then maybe that maybe that person who they refer doesn't like can go through the class and like I don't really want to do this I'm just gonna have him do it yeah so at the end of the day it still may transition into like a second degree client for you in the long term by the referral network mm-hmm. you know so I think that's huge I, mean, I love that yeah that's yeah. a good point yeah yeah definitely well uh, said yeah I mean yeah, I appreciate you coming on the podcast it's been a, a fun episode actually a lot, yeah, of, learned a lot of stuff yeah. yeah yeah thanks for having me it's it's been a pleasure yeah for sure look forward to uh, connecting again in the future and sharing some more. Awesome. Thanks, Definitely. Guys. So uh, we'll take out, we'll link out uh, all of Mike's information. We'll link out his website and some contact information. Um, if you guys have any questions about taxes, bookkeeping, um, 
accounting, anything under the sun uh, in that area, uh, reach out to them. We'll uh, have all the links in the bio. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike.